Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, When God Speaks. All right, so right before Christ ascended into heaven, by way of review, you remember this, he said this to his disciples, Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Acts chapter one, verse eight, you need to know is a prophetic word from the Lord Jesus Christ that was fulfilled in the rest of the book of Acts. Let me say that again. Acts chapter one, verse eight, was a prophetic word from the Lord Jesus Christ that was fulfilled in the rest of the book of Acts. And we saw it. We've been studying now since the beginning of the year, verse by verse, through the book of Acts. And when we got to the first part of chapter two, just as Jesus prophesied, we saw the Holy Spirit, second sentence, come down upon the disciples. And we saw them um, all of a sudden receive power to be witnesses. And then as we continue to study in the second half of chapter two, just as Jesus prophesied, we saw that the disciples were witnesses in Jerusalem. 3,000 Jews turned to Jesus as their Messiah. Day of Pentecost, praise the Lord. And then as we continued to study, we got to chapter five. And in chapter five, we saw, as Jesus prophesied, the Holy Spirit began to work and through the disciples, their witness, their message, the good news of Jesus began to impact people outside of Jerusalem, in the towns outside of Jerusalem, specifically in Judea. And we continue to study. We got to chapter eight. Praise God for Philip. And so just as Jesus prophesied, the good news of Jesus went up into Samaria. Philip shared, lots of people received Jesus. And then you remember Peter and John came down from Jerusalem to Samaria and they did the follow-up work with the Samaritans, okay? And so just as Jesus prophesied, the disciples became witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But here's the question. Where else did the Lord say they needed to be witnesses? You see that at the end? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Here it is. And to the end of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is a pivotal chapter in our Bibles. Acts chapter 13 marks a major shift in the book of Acts. You see, in chapters 1 through 12, we see that the disciples were witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria primarily. Now we're switching gears. Acts 13 through 28, what we're going to see is that the disciples are going to become witnesses to the ends of the earth. They're going to be witnesses throughout the Roman Empire. And so chapter 13 also marks a, a major shift as far as whose ministry is gonna be primarily focused on by Luke, the author of the book. So we saw in chapters one through 12, we saw Peter's ministry was the primary focus. Now, major shift, 13 through 28, we're gonna see the Apostle Paul. 
and his ministry is gonna be focused on. Not only that, we're also seeing another major shift as far as which church does Luke focus on, as far as which church is now the base of operations for the sending out of the gospel. Chapters one through 12, it's the Jerusalem church. Now switching gears, chapters 13 through 28, now it's the church of Antioch, the healthy, vibrant, spirit-filled church of Antioch. Now, I have to say this. Three weeks ago, we were all here. Well, th those of you who were here, you know that I made it all the way through chapter 10 in one service. Two weeks ago, I made it all the way through chapter 11 in one service. Last weekend, how many of you guys were here last weekend? Miracle of miracles. I don't know if it ever happened in 15 years of preaching. I made it for the third time in a row through an entire chapter, all of chapter 12 last week. Guess how many... Guess how far we're gonna to get today? Three verses today. <laughs> Three verses. I knew it was too good to be true, but, but here's what you need to know. How, how many of you guys believe that this whole book is awesome, right? Yeah. The whole book is awesome. But what you need to know is that there's certain parts in the book that are more practical for our lives. It's all true, but it's, some parts are more practical for our lives. We're there, we need to put the brakes on, we need to focus in. Before I read verse one, you need to know that at this point in Acts, and by the way, this is gonna be important for later. At this point in Acts, Paul and Barnabas have been pastoring at the healthy, vibrant church of Antioch now for over a year. I get that from chapter 11, verse 26. Can you go back and look at that real quick? Chapter 11, verse 25 says that Barnabas Remember this, went to Tarsus to look for Saul because he needed help because the church is growing in Antioch. And then in verse 26, it says, and when he had found him, when Barnabas had found Saul, he brought him to where? Antioch. And for how long? A whole year. They, Paul and Barnabas, met with the church and, what's the word? See how important teaching is? and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so this is a spirit-filled, this is a vibrant, this is a healthy church. Now one of the many ways we know that this church was a healthy church is because they were a giving church. The members of the church of Antioch had generous hearts. We saw in chapter 11, verse 28, that the prophet Agabus stood up and what did he do? He foretold, get the prophecy, he foretold by the Spirit that a great famine was coming down upon the world. And apparently, Judea was gonna hit, get hit really hard by the famine. And so that meant that the, the members of the church of Jerusalem were gonna suffer because this famine was coming. And so in response to Agabus's prophetic word, we saw at the end of chapter 11 that the church of Antioch did something Awesome, did something amazing. I don't know if you remember in a couple weeks ago, but what they did is that they collected an offering in their local church and they sent the offering, the financial offering by the hands of Paul and Barnabas from Antioch to the church of Jerusalem. The church of Antioch's um, attitude was this. Hey, church of Jerusalem, brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem, we know that your crops they're, they're gonna be hit hard because of the famine that Agabus had prophesied about 
And so here's a financial gift to help you through your gift, through your um, difficult time. So how do we know the church of Antioch was healthy? One of the ways is because they had generous hearts. I, I really love this local church. And one of the reasons I love this local church is because of the generous hearts of a lot of people. Now you need to know I don't know who gives what. I choose not to know who gives what because I never wanna be tempted to treat people differently, you know? And so I don't know who gives what, but what I do know is that there's a lot of people who, who understand the principle of the tithe and they freely follow that to honor the Lord. They give offerings above their tithe. Um, and, and what you need to know, as Pastor Matt said earlier, is that because of the generous hearts of people in this local church, we're able to do missions. We're able to take a small portion of those gifts and, and be able to see 18 people go to Haiti last week, right? And do a full-blown medical mission and help orphans, giving them medical attention as well as dental attention. We're, we're, we're able, uh, because of the, the faithful giving of people in this, this local church, we're, we're able to take a small portion of that and, and do things like, for example, um, uh, we provided, I heard, two refrigerators for GVCM, Global Vision Citadel Ministries, Pastor Eve's prophet um, there in Haiti. We, we found out while we were on the ground there last week, I didn't go, Pastor Matt and the team went, and they found out that Pastor Eve has gone for over a year without a refrigerator. I think going on maybe two years, but over a year without a refrigerator. If you ever go to GVCM, you'll see how humble and uh, godly this guy is. He just has a little apartment there on the compound. He, he would rather see money go to other places like orphans, right? And so we found out about it and I was so proud of our team. They didn't even have to ask my permission. They went and they got two refrigerators, one for Pastor Eve's apartment and another refrigerator for the Joshua house. Another refrigerator for the Joshua House, which is the house that houses ch church mission teams uh, from around America that come to Haiti. And so praise God for that. Because of faithful giving of people in this church, we're able to take a small portion of that. And I heard that while they were in the uh, mountains in a place called Decoville, that there's a local GVCM pastor and they were able to give a financial gift to someone who's living in the worst poverty in the Western hemisphere to bless him and his local church. I heard that we were able to purchase, I know 100,000 was donated in medical supplies, but I heard that our church was able to uh, buy some of the medical supplies that uh, was used in helping all these people um, in GVCM. And then best news of all, as far as I'm concerned, um, um, because of your faithful giving, we take a portion of that, a little tiny portion of that, and we're able to, to host an ice cream party for the, the orphans. Isn't that a cool thing, right? That's awesome. We all just thank God for that, right? You guys made the day of 130 or so orphans. They're all walking around with their little cup of ice cream, smiling from ear to ear, right? Because you're in Haiti. You don't get that every single day. And so I praise God because I, I read the church of Antioch sending a financial gift to the church of Jerusalem, and I'm, I'm thinking about, this is what our church does. In other words, you know what our church does? We actually wanna live out the Bible. We actually wanna make disciples in the whole world. We actually wanna make a difference in people's lives. We're not just coming to church once a week, sitting in a row, getting a little sermonette for Christianettes, and then walking away unchanged, but we actually wanna live out the New Testament and see Jesus change people's lives, especially the widows and especially the orphans. 
And if you're wondering why I'm excited, it's because God's called me to be the pastor of this church. And when you guys emulate what I read in the scriptures, I'm sorry, I get a little excited about that. It's true Christianity is working in this place. And so after Paul and Barnabas delivered the financial gift, they returned to Antioch. They brought John Mark with them from Jerusalem to Antioch. And now we're ready to read verse one. Three big verses today. Verse one, if you're looking at it, say amen. amen. All right, so now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. I'll come back to that. Barnabas, talked a lot about him. Simeon, who is called Niger. The word Niger um, is, is the word black. And so many scholars, commentators believe Simeon, this gentleman was from Africa. So he's on the staff there. He's pastoring there in the healthy, vibrant church of Antioch. And then you got Lucius of Cyrene. This next guy's name, it's, it's, I, I kept listening to it over and over so I could pronounce it right. It's Manaen. Guess that's how you pronounce it. I'm just gonna call the guy Manian because I don't wanna think through this too hard. Okay, so Manian. Now look at this was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now that's a sermon in and of itself. We could spend 45 minutes on that one. I want you to think about this. He's a lifelong friend. In other words, a proper interpretation of this, that Manian was a lifelong friend of Herod Antipas, the guy who took off John the Baptist's head. He was his foster brother. That's a correct interpretation. So Manian, and Herod Antipas, little boys running around playing together, grew up in the same house. And they grew up, and listen to this, one became a Christian, the other became a creep. One became a man of God, and the other became a monster. And there's no part of my theological makeup that could ever believe that God predestined a man to be a creep or a monster. No way, sorry, I'm not gonna believe it. It is because of the choices that Herod Antipas made in his life that he went south, hurt a lot of people, died and went to hell. But Manian, he by the grace of God was able to make choices and now all of a sudden we see that he's one of the leaders of this dynamic spirit-filled church. And so the vibrant, healthy church of Antioch was led by dynamic, spirit-filled men. And the man who would become the most famous leader within the church of Antioch, ironically, is named last. Did you see that? Um, the end of verse one. His name is Saul. Okay, so Saul was his Hebrew or Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. And since Saul the Jew is about to take the good news of Jesus to the Roman Empire to reach Gentiles, we're gonna see next week that Luke, he begins to call Saul by his Roman name in verse nine. We'll see this next week. He begins, Luke, the author of Acts, begins to call Saul Paul. And I'm looking forward to getting into Paul's life. And so, Look again at verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and 
teachers, okay? And so the gifts of prophecy and teaching both flowed in this vibrant fellowship, both gifts. And just, just real quick, let me just say this, I'll throw this in. We believe in this local church that all the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, okay? Now, I have guys that I love, I look up to, they're amazing Bible teachers, they're cessationists, I agree with them on 99.9% of their theology, but I am, not an, I am not a cessationist. Now, I understand that some of the gifts of the Spirit are faked in some churches, and things get really weird, and I think that a lot of guys, they see all the weirdness, and they're like, uh-uh, sorry, and they go over here, but the problem is they go too far. Ladies and gentlemen, all the true gifts of the Spirit are for the local church today, and all of them should be flowing in healthy, spirit-filled, vibrant fellowships. On that note, what is the gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy is a divine enablement to speak forth God's word, to edify, encourage, and console others. This is straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse three. Paul tells us under the inspiration of the spirit that you guys should be coveting that gift because it's a gift that helps and encourages other people. Now, it can, bottom half of the definition, have a foretelling or a forthtelling function. And so sometimes the gift of prophecy has a foretelling function. We saw that in the, um, the prophet Agabus stood up and he foretold by the spirit there's a great famine that's gonna come upon the Roman Empire. Question, did that famine come, yes or no? Yeah, we saw it in chapter 11, verse 28. In the reign of Claudius, the famine came. So we see the predictive function of this gift. But ladies and gentlemen, the primary way that the gift of prophecy flows in the church is not foretelling, it's forth-telling. It's when a believer speaks forth the word of God in a way that edifies and encourages and consoles people and helps them, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3. And so in the Antioch church, there were prophets and there were teachers. What's the gift of teaching? The gift of teaching is a divine enablement, and by the way, all the gifts of the Spirit all start, if they're properly defined, as a divine enablement. <laughs> it's not your personality, it's not your charisma, it's not your, how smart you are, how educated you are, it's, it's, it's the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual enablement. The gift of teaching is a divine enablement to communicate the truths of scripture in a clear and accurate way. Those who have this gift are able to share and teach and explain the word of God in a way that's helpful for other people. Now, Peter had this gift. He was encouraged to use this gift. If you remember in John chapter 21, the risen Christ needed to restore Peter because Peter had denied him three times. And so they're standing on a beach there by the Sea of Galilee. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Can we all just say those three words? Go ahead. Feed my sheep. Why did Jesus say that to Peter? Because he knew that his sheep, by the way, you're the sheep. And I want everybody to say bah right now because that would be weird. <laughs> but you are the sheep. And Jesus wants you to be spiritually nourished. So what does he do? He gives some people in the church the gift of teaching so that the word of God can nourish people and help them grow. So what exactly is the food that Peter was supposed to give to Christ's sheep? 
It's the word of God. Feed my sheep, tend my, uh, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter got it. And we know he got it because later he writes to the people of God, telling them how important the word of God is for their spiritual nourishment and their spiritual growth. Check out 1 Peter 2.2. This is Peter. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the what? Of the word. Not man's word, God's word. Desire the pure milk of the word. Why? So that you may grow thereby. And so Peter knew that God's word is like spiritual milk. And when God's word is faithfully taught, it provides spiritual nourishment to God's people and helps them to spiritually grow. But if God's word, listen to this, is not faithfully being taught, the people are gonna have a hard time being spiritually nourished. The people are gonna have a hard time growing spiritually. It's amazing to me that in the home we get this. In the home, when a mama has a baby, every mama knows that baby needs breast milk or formula so that baby can be nourished and so that baby can grow. We get it in the home, but for some reason in the last 20 years, we haven't gotten it in the church, in the American church at least. And so we now don't even use the Bible in our services anymore. And it's amazing to me how we don't get this in the church. We don't get, we don't understand the fact that spiritual babes in Christ need the pure milk of the word so that they can grow thereby. Not even to mention the importance of giving people the meat of the word so they can get stronger as they continue to grow in Christ. And so we need a revival in the American church of spirit-filled Bible teachers who are gonna take Christ's words to Peter at heart, to heart, feed, feed, feed my sheep. All right, and so we have the gift of prophecies flowing in the church. People are being encouraged and edified and consoled. We have the gift of teaching in this church flowing, and it's a healthy church. Verse two. While they were worshiping. Now, how many of you have Bibles that say ministering to? Please raise your hands. That's a great translation, by the way. I'll come back to that. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, remember the title of the message, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so while the leaders of the church were worshiping and while they were fasting, God spoke. God spoke. Now the word worshiping is very interesting. Um, the word translated worshiping is that usually employed in the LXX. If you're new to all this Bible study stuff, the LXX is simply the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so the word translated worshiping is that usually employed in the Septuagint for the service of the priests. Remember the, Levit the Levitical priesthood? The service of the priests and Levites in the temple. And so in its Old Testament context, the Greek word had to do with the, the Levites ministering to the Lord through their various um, duties in the, first the tabernacle, then the temple. Okay, so that's great for the Old Testament. What, what about 
the New Testament. What about the New Testament context? Well, David Guzek gives a little help here into the word. Ministering. Some of you guys raised your hand. You said, I have ministering to. Well, that's a great translation. Ministering to the Lord means doing what pleases him and honors him. Worship, but not just worship. For those of you who have the ESV, not just worship. Worship, praise, prayer, listening to God, honoring God. And so I want you to imagine this healthy, vibrant, spirit-filled church of Antioch and the leaders, what are they doing? The leaders are worshiping the Lord, they're praising the Lord, they're praying, they're listening, they're honoring the Lord. And in that environment, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a wonderful thing when God speaks. When God speaks, man, things change for the better. But there's two important questions I've gotta ask before we move on. Number one, does God still speak today? Number two, well, since you answered the question, we can close in prayer, I guess. <laughs> but you're right. Number two, though, if he does speak, in what way does he speak? All right, so we gotta camp here for a little while. This is very practical, very important for the local church. And so God, if you're, if you're taking notes, God primarily speaks through the scriptures. Please understand that this book that I'm holding right now, called the Bible, there's millions of them all over the place, all over the world, bestseller, okay? This, this book is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Not popes or councils or church tradition that some would say are equal in authority to the scriptures. We don't buy that here. No, 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 no. This book is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. And for charismatic evangelical Protestants, let me say this, that no human prophecy ever supersedes the authority of the written word of God. Never. Never, never, never. Here's why. Because, because man, things can get off the tracks and crazy um, if you ever abandon that truth. This is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. There is no doubt that there's no other book like this book because all the words of this book have been breathed out by God. Look at what Paul said to the young pastor Timothy. How much scripture, you tell me? All. All, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God. And because of that, we know that the Bible is the primary way God speaks to us. The psalmist said this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if you're on a camping trip and you're hiking out in the woods and the sun goes down and it's dark and you can't see but you're not back to your tent yet, what do you do in order to see the path? You take out your smartphone, put that light on, right? <laughs> well, here's, here's the application. 
in life, things can get pretty dark. So if you're in the dark and you don't know which way to go, here's an idea. Why don't you turn on the light of God's word? Why don't you open up the Bible and he will illuminate the path that he wants you to take. But you gotta know this book. You gotta have a working knowledge of the scriptures. God's word is truth and truth will always lead us into the right direction. And the word of God gives light. And so we gotta make sure that we're reading it in our personal devotions. We gotta make sure we're studying it by looking at solid commentaries. We gotta make sure that we're hearing it here in our weekend gatherings and also um, there's solid Bible teachers that you can listen to during the week. Let me recommend one. Here's a great solid Bible uh, speaker that you can listen to during the week. His name is David Guzik. He's a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor. He's solid as they come. And he has a website, enduringword.com. And so he has a Bible commentary on the whole Bible, every single book. Uh, I read him every week. He's one of the guys I I like to to read. Um, And also I found out last night that um, Pastor Guzik has a um, app. I'm not a techie, but I do have a, pa- uh, a tablet. And I went home and I downloaded his app, Enduring Word, on my tablet. And so I have that now. And I also know that he's got a podcast, okay? And so I'm just trying to recommend some good, solid Bible commentators. I've given you a lot in the past Here's why, because I I know that if you Google your theology, ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna be so confused. Talk about being in the dark. And so be careful, be careful who you listen to. And and, um, this is a guy who definitely believes in the word of God and teaches it. And so if we will immerse ourselves in the word of God, he'll give us light, he'll give us direction, but also he'll bless us. Now, I love the fourth song that we sang today. I love it. I just, I love the words. I love the authenticity of it, the honesty of it. And, and it's true, right? We don't follow Jesus. The number one reason we follow Jesus is not so that he will bless us materially and make us rich or whatever, right? You guys, you guys believe that, right? Please, please believe that. Don't follow Jesus because you want him to bless you materially. Okay, but here, here's the thing. We all wanna be blessed materially and immaterially from the Lord. So, so how can we be blessed? Listen to the word of God. Blessed is the man, this is Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Our culture is filled with ungodly counselors, formal, informal. You just turn on your TV and there's so much ungodly counsel coming. Just go to the psychiatrist who's an atheist when you're having problems in your life and get a bunch of ungodly counsel, right? And so blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now here's the blessing, and I want you to picture it in your mind. And he or she will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he or she does shall prosper. 
There's your true prosperity gospel right there. Immerse yourself in the word of God. He'll turn on the light. He'll show you a path that he wants you to take. And whenever you and I walk on the path that God has for us, he blesses us. Is this making sense to anybody this morning, right? So this is, this is the godly counsel I wanna to give to you. But there's another way God reveals his will to us. God leads us also, if you're taking notes, by his Holy Spirit within us. I am so thankful for two gifts. I'm thankful for the gift of the word of God and I'm thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit inside. That's an amazing thing. What an amazing combination that is. Now you need to know that God's word, um, what does the word do? The word of God leads us with general principles. The spirit of God leads us with specific leadings. Okay, follow me now. The word of God leads us in life with general principles. The spirit of God, he leads us in life with specific leadings. Leadings, L-E-A-D-I-N-G-S, okay? So let me give you an example. Marriage. The Bible has so many general principles about marriage. For example, God created marriage. Um, God says it is good. God said marriage should be between a man and a woman. It's very clear in God's word. Don't pervert God's word. God's word says that a marriage should be a reflection of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. God says that the purpose of marriage is for companionship, for sexual pleasure, for the offspring of, of godly kids who can grow up and follow the Lord. Right? These are all, there's so many more general principles from the word of God. That's what the word of God can do. But here's what you need to know. Never in the Bible will you be reading and God will say, thus saith the Lord, I want you to marry Fred. <laughs> Fred's not in here. Susie is not in here. Okay, and so what the Bible can't do, the Holy Spirit can do. Amen. The Holy Spirit can give you specific leading on that marriage issue and so many others. And so how does the Spirit lead us? He leads us through his peace, which he gives us in our hearts. Look at the word of God. Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now this is written to born again believers. This is um, just the prerequisite for this is you're born again and the spirit of God lives inside of you. And if any man or woman does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. Right. Okay, so if you're a born again Christian, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Okay, so what does the word rule mean in the Greek? Blue letter Bible, BLB, another great resource. The word means to be an umpire, to decide. All right, so let me use a modern example of this. What is the role of a modern day baseball umpire? As he's standing be behind the catcher, behind the, the batter, as those pitches whiz in, what is the umpire's role? He decides, right? Strike, ball. Or if the third baseman's coming in, slide, safe, right? Or you're out. Then there's a big fight or whatever, okay? And so that's what, it, that's what an umpire does. Now I'm from Tampa, so I like Tampa sports. Sorry, all you Miami people. And so I like baseball. And so what I do is I tape 
the Tampa Bay Rays games. By the way, they don't stink anymore, they're pretty good. And it, baseball can be boring, so what I do when I have time at night, before I go to bed, I'll fast forward the games. I like, I like seeing the home runs, it's just cool. And when I'm watching, I like to watch sometimes the ninth inning, um, and I like to see the pitching duels that go on. And so if the opposing team is playing against the Rays, and that pitcher winds up, and he throws it in there, right? And if you ever watch baseball, you know the strike zone is right there on the screen, right? And so if that opposing pitcher pitches to a raised batter and all of a sudden it's out, not, not on the line, it's not a close call, it's outside and that umpire says, strike! What am I doing? I'm like, get some glass! I'm just yelling at my TV set, right? <laughs> because it's not a strike, it's a ball. Human umpires can be wrong, but how many of you are glad that the Holy Spirit can never be wrong? The Holy Spirit's never wrong. When he calls a strike, it's a strike. When he calls a ball, it's a ball. When he says safe or out, he's always, always right. All right, and so what we have to do is we have to let the peace of Christ rule umpire in our hearts. When I was 17 years old, I came to know Christ in a relationship. So what happened in my life, and I'm not gonna tell the whole story, I'll just say this. The day I stopped trusting Mike to be good enough to save Mike, and the day I understood what happened at Calvary, and I trusted that, that what Christ did in shedding his blood and dying in my place is the only way I'm ever gonna be saved. When I transferred my trust from Mike to Jesus, the Spirit of God came inside of me. And what I've noticed over all these years is that the peace of Christ is, is ruled by God's grace in my heart. And what I've noticed is that, is that the peace of Christ rules in my heart in a general sense, right? Helping me to be at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christian community, which by the way is the context of Colossians chapter three. But I've also noticed that through all these years, I've also noticed that his peace has also ruled in my heart in a specific sense, helping me to discern God's will and be at peace at God's will. Now, that was an important statement. So if you're with me now, say amen. Okay, listen, listen. I have noticed over all these years that the peace of Christ has ruled in my heart in a specific sense, helping me to discern God's will and to be at peace at God's will. Over the years, the Lord has given me peace about being with Stacy as my wife. So happy about that, because I married way up. Amen. Yeah. The Lord gave me peace to start this church. Super clear. The Lord gave me peace to get a master's degree in theology. Now I am glad he gave me strong, undeniable peace in my heart to get a master's degree in theology. I'm getting it from Veritas Evangelical Seminary, now called Veritas University. Started two years ago or so. I got about two years left. I'm so glad he gave me specific, clear peace because here's why, it's hard. And if he didn't give me peace, I would have quit a year ago. I said, forget this. But listen, he's the umpire, I'm not. So I just do what he says. God's given me peace about the house we live in. I'm so grateful by God's grace as we were buying our house, standing there in the house and just an overwhelming peace flooded my heart 
God's, this is where I have for you. And, and don't misunderstand me. It's not because I'm so good. It's because he's so good. He's given me peace about building the Christian school across the street. It's been a long time, but he's given me peace and it's happening. He's given me peace in other areas of my life where, where I needed more than just the general principles of God's word. I needed specific leading from the Holy Spirit. And so if you're looking for specific leadings from the Lord, then I wanna encourage you uh, to fast and to worship and to pray because in life we have so many decisions, right? What college do I go to? What's, what, what career field do I begin to study for? Who should I marry? How many kids should we have? Should we foster? Should we adopt, right? What job should I take? What house should I live in? What do I do, Lord, in this difficult situation? Um, should I move away, take that job, or should I stay here? And just let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now, he's not gonna rule if your will hasn't been submitted to his will. You gotta, you gotta die yourself, you gotta submit your will to his will, you gotta get to a neutral place and just say, Lord, it's your, you're the umpire. Now, he'll lead you in important matters. Everybody say important. Okay, so he, be careful because some people take this to an extreme and they walk into their closet in the morning, and Holy Spirit, please tell me what shirt to wear today. Okay, or what van should I wear with my outfit today? And so we have an old saying in our church, don't be weird, okay? So um, just, just pray about those important things and let his peace rule in your heart. We're almost done. Stay with me to the end. Look at verse two. And so while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Next point, the Spirit led them as they were worshiping and fasting. Now remember, it's not just worshiping, it's minister. So it's, it's worship, praise, prayer, listening, honoring God. But in that environment, the Holy Spirit spoke. I remember it's about 17 or 18 years ago, so almost 20 years ago, I'm at a different fellowship down south somewhere, and we're in the middle of, of worshiping and praising the Lord. And it's one of those worship services, man, where, you know, it's just, this is awesome. And right in the middle of that, that time as we're worshiping the Lord, God spoke to me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was his voice. And he said three words to me which will remain private because this is between me and the Lord and my wife knows and that's it. But he said three words to me and listen, my adherence to those three words has brought me so much blessing from the Lord in the last almost 20 years. Amen. He wants to speak specifically to you. And so what do we need to do? We need to worship and we need to uh, fast, if you're medically able, spend time fasting. And so here, here's a good idea, if you're just starting off with this and you get clearance from your doctor. The sun's going down, all right, honey, make dinner, make it a big one because, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna eat for 24 hours. All right, eat, 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 eat. Sun goes down, all right, so I'm, I'm done eating until the next day after the sun goes down. I'm gonna keep hydrated with water but I'm gonna fast for 24 hours and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some time during that 24 hours, special time of worship, prayer, praise, listening to God while I'm fasting because Lord, I really need to hear from you about this situation. So I encourage you uh, to do that and sometimes in that environment, the Lord will speak. Final point, 
The Spirit leads those who are already serving the Lord. This is so important. Paul and Barnabas had been actively serving the Lord in the Antioch church for over a year. And because they were actively serving, the Spirit revealed the next step for their lives. When the Lord has a task to do, this is what he does not do. He doesn't take an inactive Christian down from the shelf, blow the dust off him and say, go for it. He doesn't do that. No, just the opposite. He chooses those who are already serving, already moving in some capacity, and he gives them the ability to serve in a greater capacity, right? You've been faithful in little, now you can be faithful in much. But you gotta be moving. Said another way, it was easy for the Holy Spirit to turn Paul and Barnabas into a new direction because Paul and Barnabas were already moving, right? One thing I've noticed about my car is that I can't turn the thing when it's in park. If I'm sitting in my car at the side of the road and I got the wheel turned all the way, and I'm like, turn, turn, I told you to turn. It's not gonna turn. As long as it's in park, it's not gonna turn. What do I have to do? Put it in drive and press the accelerator. And so you can't turn a parked car, but you can turn a car that's moving. You say, what does that have to do with God's will? Everything. God will not turn a parked Christian. But he will turn a, car, a Christian that's moving. Like Paul and Barnabas, a Christian that's already serving the Lord in some capacity. And so, in summary, here's the whole message. How can I know the will of God? Number one, most important, immerse yourself in his word. Number two, let the peace of Christ rule, umpire, in your heart. Number three, spend time worshiping, and if you're medically able, fasting. And then number four, start serving the Lord in some capacity. And guess what? In this local church, calvarypsl.com, next steps, we got so many areas that need to be filled. And we would love to have you in some capacity just begin to serve, begin to move down the road. And then who knows, the Lord may say, set apart your name for something greater, amen?